Christmas for the summertime. I'm thinking maybe I'll pick some real nice fluffy, like feel good chick flicks. Um, chick flicks. Chick flicks. Let's do some chick flicks this summer. Because it seems as though all three of the ones that I've chosen for this series this year have been dark. Maybe it's just that. I think movies are dark. I think they are really. They are. Going really I'm gonna very check dark. Just We're get, they're getting darker and darker. I agree. Like, yeah. Yeah. Is this um, up for an Oscar? This is up for Best Picture, Best Director, let's see what else, Best Cinematographer. It's up for 10 different Oscars. Isn't that amazing? It got, if you ever looking it, it, to try to figure out is the movie, how well is the movie doing? Is it worth seeing? Is it worth paying the 10 or $12 to see it in the movie theater? Go to metacritic.com and the score on Metacritic, if it's in the green, it's probably worth seeing in the theater. You'll probably enjoy it on some level. Um, but keep reading the reviews because if it, if you don't like dark, you know, don't don't go see a dark movie if you're if it's going to be too depressing for you. But what I will say about this one is it's dark, it's violent, it's um, hard to see in some ways, and yet also it's it's redemptive. And it, it, I wouldn't be talking about it here if it didn't have some kind of redemption, some kind of victory to it that's beautiful and worth experiencing firsthand. So with that in mind, let me pray for us. Oh Lord, we need your help now as we look at this, uh, just the, the storyline of this film and the way that this film, this story being told in our culture um, is in, in, in a sense touching on your story of our salvation. And so we ask Lord even through this story that so many people who don't even call themselves Christians and haven't even walked into a church are seeing, would you work through this storyline to draw people to you, Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And so we ask this in your name. Amen. Did you hear, we just watched this first trailer for, um, for Mad Max Fury Road, and did you hear the, the um, voiceover? The voiceover is being done by the main character, Mad Max, which you've seen all the original Mad Max movies, and you might understand the character. He has gone insane in this post-apocalyptic wasteland that used to be Australia. How's that for a setup for a film? Um, and he's a really interesting character. You hear the prologue to the movie shows him. And in the trailer we just saw, we heard a voiceover. He said, um, it was hard to know who was crazy, me or everyone else. Hard to know who was crazy, me or everyone else. And I'm showing you now, this is the bad guy. He's really crazy. I don't even like looking at his face. You know, so... This fourth in the series of Mad Max movies, there's a fifth that's projected to be filmed next year, um, was a franchise starting in 79 with Mel Gibson as the title role. And again, it's set in bleak, impoverished, dystopian Australia. And there were two more sequels after that. Road Warrior was the second one, and then the third one was Beyond Thunderdome. And all three of them could be said to be precursors of um, all of the action films that have followed since then. And so I'm really looking forward to going back and seeing those original ones. All four have been directed by George Miller, who is now 70 years old. He's a scrappy pragmatic with a streamlined approach to filmmaking. So if you don't have um, a, a palette for some of the darker stuff like this, if you can't stand it, that's okay. If you want to experience some of his filmmaking and happy fun way um, you could go see Babe Pig in the City which is actually my favorite I prefer it over the original Babe the Talking Pig in the country everything gets a little more exciting once they get to the city 
Um, that's a good one. Then another good set of films that he's done is Happy Feet. Who doesn't love tap dancing penguins? I love tap dancing penguins, <laughs> obviously. So what you see, this director, even though these Mad Max films are dark, what you can see is that his imagination is fertile. He, there's so much going on inside his head, which is a little bit scary, but when it comes out on film, um, you see that even in the midst of some of the dark things that he shows, he's trying to critique our culture, and he's also showing um, our world in the destruction left behind by human nature and sin. And that's one theory that I have about post-apocalyptic <coughs> films, that any kind of dystopian universe, any kind of film with a dystopian universe, in some way is going to speak to us as Christians, because all of these films say the world is broken. The world is not as it should be. There's something that happens that breaks the world, that happens outside in advance of a dystopian post-apocalyptic movie. And that's part of what sets you up for everything that happens in the realm of the movie. And that's true for us as Christians, right? We live outside of Eden. I know, it's really fun. They're all walking around. No, I know, sorry. Deborah, uh, all these kids are wondering what on earth is Sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, quick. I should change it. Yeah, you're, that's a good, a good point. Yeah, it's really not. Uh, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Give them a black screen. I think they're done now. Too late. But well, they'll they'll come calling calling to their mothers. What what in the world was it? Well, this idea of brokenness is so present in our world, and as Christians, we are ones who are aware of it, and we know why the world is broken. The world is broken because of sin. The world is broken because Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, fell into sin, and all human history ever since is understood in light of that fall, in light of the fact that all is not as it should be. And we see that outside of ourselves in the way the world works. We see that in our own relationships. If you don't believe in sin, just um, ask someone about their spouse. Do they believe in sin in their spouse? Not my spouse, but in their spouse. And they'll say, yes. And then if you say, well, then why don't you believe in sin in yourself? You Okay, yeah, maybe maybe I'm guilty of sin as well. I mean, we really are miserable offenders. We really, I know, now that we've added it back mm -hmm. in, we really are miserable offenders. And our world is <laughs> a, a harsh and difficult place. So in this world, Mad Max, the main character, is a man who has gone mad, who is haunted by those he was unable to protect, who include his own wife and daughter. And that happened in the earlier mover, movies. And um, he says, as we heard in that first trailer, it's hard to know who was crazy, me or everyone else. And into this world he's captured um, by Immortan Joe with the big bad mask, who you saw his, um, his goons capture Mad Max and, um, and, and take him captive, and then they use him for their own purposes. And we'll look at what that means later. But... One of the um, reviewers that I read, I loved how he said that in Morton Joe, this bad guy character, the kids are gone, right? I can put it back up. Can I put it back up? He is a cross between Jabba the Hutt and Darth Vader with a breathing tube. Isn't that crazy? Those are breathing tubes attached into his mask, and he breathes from the back. What we heard him saying in that trailer just now was, I am your redeemer. It is by my hand you will rise from the ashes of this world. And in the opening sequence of the film, what we see is that in this barren wasteland, this desert, there he is, high up in this citadel, protected by rock, and he has this appearance of strength, and yet behind this appearance of brute strength, 
there is in fact this weakness. He needs oxygen to be able to be kept alive. Um, the irony is um, through and through all of the people that are seen to be in power are actually very, very weak. And that's one of the themes that George Miller, the director, continues to bring through. So he, in Morning Joe, claims to be like a god for these people in this post-apocalyptic wasteland. And he controls their access to water. You see him in the opening sequence um, opening up these floodgates of water and they stand on the ground with containers ready to catch it. Clearly, they don't have access to running water. And he uh, is thriving on this uh, aspect of control in this tyrant. But he is ultimately a withering, dying old man who is kept alive by outdated technology. So you see Mad Max opposed to a Morton Joe. Those are the big um, oppositions, the big characters in this film. The character of Mad Max will appear in the next film, I'm sure. But what you see then, too, is that there are other characters that are introduced. For the first time in a Mad Max um, film, there's a female heroine who comes close to Mad Max in equality, in terms of being just as much a hero. And that was really uh, George Miller's goal in creating the character of, in, her name is Imperator Furiosa, and that's Charlize Theron's character. And we're going to look at her a little bit in some more depth. But before we do, I want to go back to this idea of the water, the water that Immortan Joe is controlling and trying to um, give out, dole out in very meager quantities to these people that he's leading, really people that he is a tyrant over. And this idea of water, we see this idea in scripture so clearly. How many times, whenever you see water in scripture, how many times do you remember, recall that the people of Israel were surrounded by desert, almost on every side. The search for water is so important. Remember how the Israelites in the desert longed for water. They thought they were going to die of thirst. And this idea of water in scripture is an image for life itself. Water means life. And in the beginning of scripture, we see in the Garden of Eden, there is this sense of there being this lush, protected, preserved, life-giving, holy place that Adam and Eve <laughs> are created into. And then after the fall, that life, that protection, that, protection, that green aspect is lost. Um, in the search for life, in the search for um, fellowship, regained fellowship with God. Um, and so we hear it in scripture, especially in Isaiah, you hear this idea of in the midst of this fallen, broken world, in the midst of the sin that pervades our world, God gives Israel this hope and this promise that there will be water once again. He says in Isaiah uh, 35, waters as a promise. Waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunts of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. How is that for water turning a desert into a lush garden once again? There's a hope again in Isaiah 44. The Lord says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry, dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. <laughs> Very cute. Good thing I took Morton Joe on. <laughs> so we see this idea of green, of life, of water, connecting to that green and, and life. 
And there's the promise in Scripture, too, in the New Testament. You see in John's Gospel, Jesus is saying this promise of God from of old that life would be renewed and restored, symbolized by water in the desert. That promise is fulfilled in me. And you see it in John chapter 4, where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, a thirsty woman looking for water in the heat of the day at noon. And there Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman responds. You heard about this water, you'd never be thirsty again in the desert. She says, Sir, give me this water. (laughs) Uh, Give me this water, we can say to Jesus. And Jesus promises again in John chapter 7, At the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John goes on to tell us that Jesus is saying this about the Holy Spirit, who will dwell in the heart of the believer. And from the very um, bottom, the very inner being of those of us who believe in Jesus, there will come forth life, There will come forth healing. Um, We who have been forgiven will extend also that forgiveness out to others beyond us. So we will be like springs even in the desert. So this idea of water is promised in scripture and it's a huge theme in Mad Max Fury Road. They are in search of water. It's no mistake then that um, you see water in very specific places. At the beginning, you see it when um, the women first appear in the movie. And the women who first appear, not Furiosa the hero, but there are the, the whole purpose for this mission and the trajectory of this film, again, there's this introduction and this setup, and then most of the film is on the road. That's why it's called Fury Road, right? They're on the road, and this, um, this slave, really, of Immortan Joe, who we saw, this woman Furiosa, she is stealing from him his most prized possessions, is what it says in the film. His most prized possessions are these women that he has captured and brainwashed, who are his wives, who he's attempting to um, have healthy progeny with. That's this theme that you see throughout that the bad guys are not healthy. They're strong, they're powerful, and they're in control, but they have to wear breathing masks, or they need to be attached to a blood donor constantly, or, um, all of the, or they're um, deformed. So there's this hope that the next generation, the bad characters have this hope that the next generation will somehow be physically healthy. And so he's attempting <laughs> to control that through owning these women. These women are treated like property. And so enter Furiosa. She's going to set these women free. And so what she does is she hides them. This is all in the very first part of the movie. I will tell you spoilers, but this is in the very first part of the movie. You can leave now and join the children if you don't want to hear the spoilers. But it's worth seeing even if you hear the spoilers. She hides them in this big rig, this giant 18-wheeler that ostensibly set out to find gas, which is also in a shortage in this desert. And she goes out, and they're seeking water is one of the things that is in lack, and they start to go to try to find this green place. (coughs) This is the place where Furiosa (coughs) is taking them, back to the home that she was stolen from, kidnapped from, so many years ago as a child. So there's this memory in her mind, Eden, of a green place that once existed, and she's longing and hoping to return there herself and to bring these victims out into an open place, into a green place, a place of life and freedom. 
And so, um, so in the midst of this, in the midst of this world without hope or mercy, comes this form of hope, and it's found on the road back and forth. And of course, Immortan Joe is going to chase Furiosa and try to get his precious things back. And that's where all of the action occurs, is in this one big long chase. So let's watch another trailer, and you'll see in this other trailer, um, you'll see another aspect of that's the right one. Let me just double. Nope, that's the one we already saw. You'll see another aspect of um, Furiosa and the relationship with the women. Our world is fire and blood. Everything is dependent on oil. We are killing for gasoline. No, almost out of water. Driving, water, everything becomes spiritualized in this setting. Everybody's gone out of their mind. The cinematography is incredible. Can't you see You're not it? The only one, Max. Out here, everything hurts. You want to get through this? Do as I say. Now pick up what you can and run. earlier how many people have seen it uh, anything you see or notice or remember again from watching the trailer <laughs> this time around it's so good it's so good there's a lot more yeah. plot in the movie than I know. In the trailer. yeah it just looks like one big robot do you know one um commentator or reviewer said it was like a mashup between titus andronicus and cannonball run which I think is hilarious. So, I've probably I've probably seen it three or four times. I mean, it is. I think it's one of the best movies I've seen in years. I'd say the best movie I've seen is probably since The Dark Knight. Why would you say it's one of the best movies? It, 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 not it's about as perfect a piece of filmmaking as you can get. Every scene is just pitch perfect. Every piece of the script is pitch perfect. The themes the themes in it are so deep, and you just really can't get into them at first. You know, the whole yeah. idea of that scene where she comes to on her knees yeah. is 
you know, you can another spoiler thing. She's yeah. gone to find a green place, and it's this, <coughs> thing, this myth, this escapism we have in our lives. Yeah. That we can get to this place somewhere in the world. If we go somewhere else, we make all our problems go away. Yeah. And that's when Max says, "There is no green place." Yeah. You have to go back. Yeah. And you have to you have to fight that evil there. That's, and that's the you know the the major arc of the story. You know, Max is the, a minor part of the movie. Yeah, he really He's is. A very minor part of the movie. And I don't know, I've never seen a word count, but I bet the main character has less than 250 words of script. It's been described as a silent film. It's yeah. so loud, it's got this great soundtrack on it, but there are, there are almost no words in the script. And so what's so amazing about the direction is that he does all of these incredible visual effects and then he also is able let's get off of him there we go he's also able to show he, he does all of these amazing visual effects he has 150 cars and one reviewer says a pack of cameras like baying hounds following the cars it's just incredible how he must have achieved uh, the, the, the effects in this. There's very little CGI used comparatively with other action films. And yet with other action films, one reviewer <laughs> says it's like an old Cadillac or an Oldsmobile. It goes putt, 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 plot, putt, 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 plot, putt, 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 plot. Like you have to stop and get some backstory on the characters so that then, and then there's a burst of action. This, you have to hold on to your hat. I watched it again this week and I was trying to do something else because I've already seen it. It grabbed my attention once again. I could not multitask at all. It demanded my full attention, partly because it tells so much by showing and not by talking. And that is the mark of an excellent director. That's the mark of a master at the end of his career, like George Miller, someone who has made so many films and is able to streamline and able to cut. It's one of the hardest things to do as a director. And whenever you see a film where you're like, oh my gosh, it's dragging. That's a sign of, um, of immature directing, someone who's not ready to kill their babies before they put it on screen. Um, but it's so good because in this juxtaposition, this striving for redemption, for this hope, for this green place, for a sense of freedom from this bondage that so many of them experience, you actually see some victory. And that's one of the reasons why it's so darn satisfying, too. So back to this idea of the destruction of the wasteland, one of the aspects of this destruction is this theme of ownership. And, and Morton Joe claims ownership over people's bodies, not just the women, but men as well. And so what's wonderful about this is it's not just some kind of feminist track. It's about um, the danger of men and women, male and female alike, becoming in bondage to ideologies, in bondage to our own, um, our own goals, in bondage to a random despotic tyrant. And in this film, there are slave warriors like Furiosa. There are living donors like Mad Max. At the beginning of the movie, you see him. He gets captured, and the whole reason why they don't kill him after they capture him is because he's a healthy male. And they say, great, because all of the men in the Citadel are unhealthy. They're, they're, um, there's this idea of this corruption underneath this outer bravado and this show of strength. And so these warriors, these war boys, um, get sick and they have to be attached up to a healthy human being so that they can have a constant blood transfusion. And so that's where we see Mad Max. He's being called the... Um, this is a better image. It's okay. It's being called a <laughs> maybe okay. I don't know. It's being called a blood bag 
by the people who are exploiting him. How terrible. Um, so all of these people, men and women alike, um, find themselves not just um, together in this bondage of being owned by this tyrant, but they also find themselves together as allies in bringing about um, freedom and a real future for them. Um, so going on, one of the things, I just want to say a little sideline about that is we think there is this theme of the women that are captured and in the big rig. I think it's no mistake that George Miller is doing this. I think he is in a creative way trying to help us as Americans wake up to the reality of human trafficking in the U.S. Um, if, you've, if you don't even know about that, just Google it. It's a terrible, horrible epidemic. It's the second largest they, they think it's the second largest worldwide industry after the drug industry and that is of capturing mostly women it's almost 80 or 90 percent women and children young girls capturing um, these horrible situations where girls are captured and placed in bondage um, and there is such a program of um, victimization that even when the door is open and they are uh, they're not free to go because the bondage is internal as well as external. So just to remember, this is something, because it's been on our heart in outreach and because it's something that's coming to the forefront as a really strong need in our world, one of the things that we've decided for Lenten lunches this year, we don't usually designate proceeds in advance of Easter, but this year for Lenten lunches, half of the proceeds will go towards a ministry that deals with the trafficking of women that helps release women from this kind of bondage. On that note, continuing onward in the film itself, you see this longing for home, for the green place. I think it's a longing for Eden, and I think it's a longing that's found within each one of us. When Furiosa is asked where she's going, she says, the green place, and yet she gets to a point on the road where she realizes <laughs> the green place no longer exists, and she's devastated. That's the picture of her in the sand. What is she going to do next? And I think that this is something that each one of us as a Christian must undergo and must realize. As Christians, we have this, um, this prophetic role to the world. The world doesn't re recognize that the green place cannot be regained on our own, that we can't go back to Eden. The world often has this misplaced idealism, and we often have it as well, where we think, if I could just get on to the next thing, as you said, if I could just get to the beach, everything will be better. If I could just get to the other side of having this baby, if I could just get to where my kids are off to college, if I could just get married, if I could just get this, if I could just, that phrase, if I could just, keeps us um, sending out a line, hoping for the next thing. And ultimately, that misplaced hope is only going to fail us. As Christians, we are essentially homeless. There's no returning to Eden. We see this idea in Scripture. Christians who follow our Lord Jesus are like him. He who said in Luke, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We as Christians have nowhere to lay our head. Like St. Paul, um, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless in a sense that we have been kicked out of our true home, Eden, of pure fellowship with the Father. And it's because of our sin. It's because of our own doing. And our world is worse for the sin. And yet we long to return to that sweet fellowship with the Father. It's not just about the green place, the place of eternal life. It's about that fellowship with God the Father that's not hindered by sin. 
the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11 talks about all the great heroes of the faith, even prior to Jesus, and then um, talks about how all who died in faith have not received the things that were promised, but have seen them and greeted them from afar, have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. And he goes on to say, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. We are seeking a homeland. He says, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But they were looking forward to what God has for them. And so rather than making these provisional green places in this life, we can trust that there is an ultimate green place that God is seeking to bring us back to. And yet it's not the Garden of Eden. When you look at Scripture, what you see in Revelation is that the new Jerusalem that will descend from heaven at the last day is not just a garden, but now the garden is in a city. It's not just fellowship with God, but now it's fellowship with all humanity, all of the nations of the world, all of the peoples of the earth that are in fellowship in Christ will be together eternally worshiping the Lamb in the new Jerusalem. So we have this hope and we look onward towards something we couldn't have even imagined or dreamed for ourselves. And you see this in the film. Mad Max's role with Furiosa is to help her stop and regroup. At that moment where her idealism has failed, he helps her set her sights on something she never could have imagined, which is to return back to the Citadel, to return back to the place of bondage and from there to seek victory, to seek redemption and overcoming that horrible tyrant in Morden Joe. Um, so they, they make this seemingly mad move. Again, spoiler alert, they turn around and return back through the chaos, flying right into the face of death. And um, what I would say is that rather than just escaping evil, that's what she had hoped for. If we could just escape and get away, then everything would be fine. There's an even better hope than what she had thought. Um, and the hope comes through defeating evil. And this is the Christian hope. Rather than just escaping through whatever it is that we use to distract ourselves, we have a Lord and Savior who has for us defeated the tyrant of this world, Satan himself, and all of the, um, all of the arsenal that he perpetuates, the sin in ourselves that we collude in, that we're a part of, and also the death and separation from God that's the result of sin. There is hope for us in our Savior, in our victor, Jesus. And he goes, our salvation is wrought not through escaping, not through um, fleeing from the destruction, but rather Jesus Christ himself goes right into the destruction. He flies right into the face of what we would rather escape from. Um, and this road, when they turn back and they turn around, the road is definitely a road of suffering and near death. And in their turning back, they show themselves to be willing to die to bring down this tyrant, Immortal Joe, or Immortan Joe. Any thoughts about that before I keep going? I think it's take spot a on. You know, it's a lot like, you know, I think about you can let Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, being, thinking about, you know, he did. He could say, I don't have to do this and keep running. Yeah. But it's, you know, the, I think the, one of the morals of the movie, or say from a Christian point of view, is you can't run from the devil. You have to fight the devil. And we have one who fights for us. Yes. And what you see in this film, you see that swap. You see this vicarious aspect of it. You see each person struggling and striving and fighting, and yet there is this sense where it's beyond them. 
And that's where we struggle and strive and fight, but we look to our Savior knowing that the victory has already been won in Him. What you see here, um, I don't want to go into any too much of the particulars of the very high point of the film, but what I will just say is that Mad Max, all throughout the Mad Max m movies, has been seen as... Um, oh, I want to make it full screen just because it's so awesome. He's been seen as a Christ figure. Many reviewers have said that. Um, but what do you see here? Do you see where he's tied up? This is at the beginning of the film. As they hit the road, he's attached to this war boy, and he's tied in the front of the car. How imaginative. It almost reminds me of a, a figurehead on a ship. But he's strapped in across this crossbeam, and there's a, a vertical pole as well. And what you can't see is that the chain that's hooking him into the car, it's not just the chain, but it's the chain surrounding an IV, the blood transfusion from him to the, to the, um, to the weak warrior inside who requires the blood of Mad Max to be able to keep going. And he, when he gets free from this, don't worry. But the symbol is not lost on us. The visual is not lost on us. Early on, he gets free of that kind of involuntary, sacrificial gift of his own blood. But what I will say is that later on, look at that cross image. Isn't that good? Later on, he will not allow himself to be free. He will voluntarily give his own blood to save someone else, even in the midst of of the madness in his mind and elsewhere. The victory that's accomplished at the end is accomplished primarily at the last moment because of his sacrificial gift of his own self. And how amazing for us that as Christians, our victory in Jesus comes about not just through him um, taking care of everything from far off, but Jesus Christ enters in. He, the man of sorrows, um, <coughs> is essentially becomes like Max our blood bag. Um, that's what Max is called in the film by the bad guys. And there's so many scriptures about the blood of Christ covering us and our victory, our salvation, our forgiveness, eternal life being accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and I could just even begin to say, but it's all throughout scripture. You know it's all throughout scripture. If you want to hear a really good um, survey of all of the blood imagery in scripture, I commend to you one of our Lenten lunch speakers this past week. Um, uh, Professor Elzinga from UVA had a great, his second sermon, he talked about blood in scripture. And I was just listening to it and I was like, this is what I'm talking about on Sunday, so I'm not even going to go for it. But um, it, uh, let me just give you a couple of scriptures. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God from Romans 3 and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In him, from Ephesians now, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, the blood of the, our great high priest, um, he has entered into the greater, the greater and more perfect tent in Hebrews 9, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats, but uh, blood of goats, but um, by the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. The blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is what secures that green place for us, and that's exactly what happens in the film: the return, the restoration, the hope for the future, the hope of eternal life. 
is ours through faith in Jesus Christ and by virtue of his blood. And this film only secures it, only reinforces it for us. So if you know anyone who's seen it, listen in. If they're not a Christian, I encourage you to listen to them and hear what they might say. Hear what struck them about the film. There might be a chance to point them towards the blood that truly saves. Let's pray. Thank you indeed, Lord Jesus, for the vision of that um, of that green place, of the new Jerusalem, of uh, the end of it all, when your victory will be made manifest to all. And yet even now, Lord, we claim your work on the cross for ourselves. We are shielded in your blood, even as um, you show in this parable um, how one person could give himself for another. And so we thank you, Lord, for uh, your witness. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for your blood. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.